They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller, she wrote. Getting in shape isn't about a number on the scale. Noom helps you develop new relationships with food, build healthier habits, and feel better about yourself. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash ag. And thanks to Daily Harvest for supporting Muller, she wrote. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat well. They deliver thoughtfully sourced, chef-crafted food right to your door. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code AG25 to get $25 off your first box. And thanks to Best Fiends for supporting Muller, she wrote. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Warning, this podcast contains laughter. This is Greg Oliar, the author of Dirty Rubles, and you're listening to Muller, She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today are Jordan Coburn Hello. and Mandy Reeder. Hello. We have another monster show planned today. Jordan is going to... I can't ever keep it under an hour. There's just no way. Um, you, Jordan, you're going to cover a Treasury employee that's pleading guilty to leaking suspicious activity reports, those mm-hmm. SARS that we talked about mm-hmm. a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, go over, I'll go over the fourth batch of Mueller memos and how dangerous Bill Barr is to the independence of the Justice Department. And we have an interview with former U.S. attorney, University of Michigan law professor, MSNBC and NBC legal analyst and contributor Barb McQuaid about what kind of witness indicted Giuliani associate Lev Parnas is after those explosive Maddo interviews. And by the way, his name is pronounced Parnas. And we just learned this. But guess who knew how to pronounce it a long time ago? Who? Moo. There's your hint. <laughs> Nunes? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Joyce Vance picked up on that in one of his uh, interviews uh, from a while back talking hmm. about, I don't know anybody. I don't know anything about Lev Parnas. And and <laughs> like, and she's like, hmm, it's like you knew how to pronounce his name. Like you actually talked to the guy. No, the rest of us didn't know that. No. Interesting. We're all Parnas. <laughs> but it's Parnas. Um, <clears throat> Tarjay. <laughs> Maybe his origin story is just people pronouncing his name incorrectly, and then he was like, this is what I'm going to do in life. This will be my contribution to society. <laughs> Clearly, it's nothing else. So I can see that. Yeah, it's his, it's his uh, revenge. Yeah, or they've just been crying together for a long time. That's also the other option. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Cornyn was like, the, you know, there's a lot of these criminal hangers on, and they're like, oh, all hanging on to Trump? That's interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Normal. Totally. <laughs> Uh, we do have a lot to get to, but we have some corrections, so let's do that before we get started. It's a mistake! 
It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, first from Beth Rosenshine. That's a really pretty name. Yes, it is. It's like German for Risenshine. Hmm. Um, it probably isn't, but it, <laughs> it just sat. That's like how German works. Um, <laughs> Judaism is indeed a religion, but Jews are not a race, but rather a people, an ethnic group with uh, common history, language, culture, some of us, uh, DNA. We are not exactly like other religions like Islam and Christianity. We don't believe God wants everyone to convert to Judaism. Uh, and we're not exactly like other ethnic groups. Anyone of an ethnic background who converts becomes a full-fledged Jew. A Jew remains a Jew, whatever their religious beliefs are. Uh, thanks for reading. I believe you are open to learning, which is why I bothered to write. Yeah, thank you. Oh, that's, nice. that's a really good uh, way to put it, honestly. Yes, I do. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and the whole we don't believe God wants everyone to convert to Judaism. I feel that because my understanding is it's actually really hard. They like mm-hmm. turn you down a bunch of times and make sure you really want like it's not that you, you can't just go. All right. Today. Right. It's a whole process. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a very it's a it's a thing um, from Bill Held on, and Liz Keys. Hyde of Connecticut of Parnas email fame is not a representative. He has actually never held public office. He's just running for the fifth district. Even the Republican Party wants him booted out of the race due to vile comments he made about Kamala Harris. Chris Farley would probably play him on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> but alas, oh we God. lost him many years ago. Yeah, that'd be so good. He would, too. I could see him doing his little back and forth <laughs> dance with his little coat. If you could see the dance right now. Fat hide in a little coat. <laughs> All right. And that's not shaming. That's just quoting. Yes. Um, James Corden could do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He was um, Boris Johnson. Maybe he only... Wants to maintain I love British characters. And that's an interesting correction because I knew he never held office. I'm not sure when I may have accidentally said that. So good hmm. correction if I did. Yeah. From L. Mo, LOL. Thank you for the informative podcast. <laughs> I just wanted to clear up the meaning of the word accessioning, which I believe is being used in regards to Turkey's entry into the UN. I'm an archivist, and accessioning is the term used to describe the processing of new materials into an archival museum collection. Deaccessioning is when items are removed from a collection. <laughs> uh, just an FYI, in case you hadn't heard those terms before. I have not. I appreciate all the work you do keep us informed, to keep us informed. Very cool. This reminds me of uh, the National Archives blurring out the Women's March yep. photos. So I mm-hmm. guess blurring them out and then accessioning them to the National Archives is a pile of shit. And then, <laughs> and then deaccessioning it because you've apologized for being a dickhead is a correct usage of that. Am I using that right? I think so. You I think let, so. You let us know, Elmo. <laughs> um, Glenn Fleetwood. Oh, I love your band. Uh, very informative. <laughs> I know it's Mick. Okay. Very informative work, AG. I'll get a correction on that. <laughs> Mick Fleetwood. The Nuclear Proliferation Treaty is not a deal. It's treaty. A treaty holds legal significance. Trump only calls it a deal to feign expertise over the topic. (laughs) Don't carry water for Trump calling it a deal. All right, I won't. Thank you. Uh, And those are corrections. If you have any for us, head to MullerSheWrote.com, click contact, select corrections, and build us a compliment sandwich. We will get it right eventually. We have no time to waste with the amount of news that came at us this weekend Mm -hmm. and and all all last week. Um, The news is coming at Space Force speeds. So let's jump in with just the facts. The Senate impeachment trial began Thursday with the swearing-in of Chief Justice John Roberts and the senators. It was very solemn. made me feel like someone other than us is taking it seriously. Um, after the shit show in, in, the, in the House, um, particularly by circus Republicans, 
Uh, though I'm utterly convinced a good number of Republicans were sworn in on a Hustler magazine um, <laughs> and crossing their fingers behind their backs when they were signing the oath book, promising to do impartial justice. Mm -hmm. I just feel like that wasn't uh, real. Yeah. Gotta love low budget camera setups. Can't get them from the back. See those crossies. <laughs> we'll never crossies. know. <laughs> Cross the applesauce oath book. <laughs> Done. Uh, Nancy held the articles like a boss, and during that short 30-day delay, which included the holiday break, we found out that the Office of Management and Budget said in emails Trump was directly responsible for the hold of the Ukraine aid. We found out from the Government Office of Accountability that withholding the aid is illegal under the Impoundment Control Act. We found out Bolton is willing to testify if the Senate, is, uh, if Senate subpoenas him. And we got the Parnas interview, along with truckloads of documentary evidence, including emails and text messages and WhatsApp messages, corroborating his statements, which is very important. And I'll talk to Barb McQuaid about that later. All of that puts unholy amounts of pressure on Republicans to vote for calling witnesses. And we will learn Tuesday what the initial rules of the trial will be. Uh, it is said it will contain a provision asked for by four moderate Republicans that would require an up or down vote on witnesses and documents after the opening arguments. Uh, and senator question sections are complete. Uh, remember, senators have to write their questions down. They don't get to ask them with their mouths. Tuesday is expected to be contentious, as Dems will no doubt argue for amendments, which they're allowed to do, requiring witnesses be added in the initial rules, or allowing for witnesses be added in the initial rules. Though I assume the moderate Republicans are okay with the up or down vote and probably won't go for that. Um, something to consider, there will be more evidence that comes to light in the space between approval of the initial rules and that up or down vote if, it's, if it ends up making it into the rules. And I'm starting to see tiny glimmers of hope we could actually see some Republicans vote for removal, but I'm more inclined to wait and see as Senator Collins has consistently led us down the primrose path only to yank the football away last second, which I think I just read an article saying now she won't. Hmm. Uh, doesn't want witnesses. Speaking of this, and I don't know if this is true or not, so don't slaughter me, but um, apparently Stephen King lives across the street from Susan Collins, and mm. he has like a truck with a billboard on it facing her living room window. <laughs> that I've says, seen, seen pictures of it. Yeah. That says like, don't, you know, don't defend Trump's crimes, essentially. Yeah. yeah. She's all uh, the inspiration he needs, huh? Just sitting at his little writer's <laughs> desk looking across the way. She's the new lady in misery. <laughs> got Stephen King in the house. Also hobbling his feet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that meme? Somebody. <laughs> okay. So Misery is the movie, right? Where the lady kidnaps the author who's played by James Caan mm -hmm. and keeps him there to write the stories because she wants a better ending. She mm -hmm. wants the ending that she wants. And she actually ends up hobbling him, which is an old school thing where you take a sledgehammer, break them, break their ankles. Oh, Ooh. shit. And, you know, and it's horrifying to watch that whole scene. I can't even watch it. It's terrible. I should have done a content warning there. But somebody <laughs> somebody did somebody did a movie poster of that of misery with her with the hammer. But the but the movie's called Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. That. that might need to be in the newsletter next week. That's yeah. so funny. You have to find it. I didn't. I don't think I saved it. I might have though. It made me laugh so hard. That's we so had. Good. We have to laugh. This podcast contains laughter. <laughs> so uh, these are fictional traumas, which yeah. I feel better about laughing yes. about. <laughs> <laughs> I know trying to make jokes about actual real crime. is, yeah. is, is harder. If no ankles have left been left um, stoned, then it's okay to laugh. <laughs> Leave no ankle unstoned. <laughs> um, Trump has added. Epstein lawyer Alan Dershowitz and Clinton prosecutor Ken Starr to uh, his team of intrepid assholes this week. TV lawyers all. Uh, in response, Monica Lewinsky tweeted, this is definitely an are you fucking kidding me kind of day. Mm -hmm. Dershowitz has said he's not acting as Trump's lawyer, which 
to me, makes him a witness, which <laughs> means I guess it's okay to call witnesses now. Uh, he's also working for Trump for free, which seems like an illegal campaign contribution to me. But of course, maybe that's why he's saying he's not a lawyer. He's um, an advocate. <laughs> <laughs> Trump hasn't staffed the Federal Election Commission, so they don't have a quorum. But I, maybe I would expect uh, the chair, Jane Weintraub, any day mm -hmm. to like maybe say something call about them out that, on that. Call him out. Dersh plans to argue that abuse of power and obstruction of Congress aren't impeachable offenses. And if he's not a lawyer but a witness, someone should be able to cross-examine him and ask if he thinks bribing a foreign government to help you win an election is an impeachable offense. And are you just not liking calling that abuse of power? What would you call it? Mm -hmm. What would you call it? Like a high a high misdemeanor? Mm -hmm. A high crime? Like mm -hmm. what, whatever. It's a semantics argument. But yeah, Dershowitz says, I'm not a lawyer. I'm there to defend. My client is the Constitution. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. Yeah. I, I was. But he had it, and he had a perfect opportunity mm -hmm. to call him during the hearing in the House, where they had legal scholars mm -hmm. argue the constitutionality of impeachment. Yeah, absolutely. And watching Dershowitz try to like play language games with all of this on CNN was. You know, when he was like, well, it wasn't Trump who hired me. It was his legal team. And I'm not a lawyer for the president. I'm an advocate. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So you're a witness. Yeah. Because in trials, you have the defendant, the plaintiff, mm -hmm. lawyers, the jury, witnesses, mm -hmm. and a judge. Yeah, yeah. There's no hype man's just yeah. sitting behind you. <laughs> <laughs> just running up after everything. Like, and just adding motherfucker to it. Like, yeah, Just squirting Gatorade in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Impeachment's no. Abuse of power's not an impeachable offense, motherfucker. Yeah, and then just, just like, disappearing back behind the curtain. He's like, I don't have a technical job here. <laughs> I'm just here to hype you up. <laughs> wow. Like the mighty, mighty boss tones of the Senate. <laughs> I'm just a dancing guy in the background. It's skanking. Wearing plaid <laughs> pants. <laughs> getting paid. <laughs> wearing plaid pants and getting paid. Alan Dershowitz. That's what we're calling him from now on, his hype man. Actually, I feel like to fight Rudy for that particular title. Uh, hype man? Mm, yeah. yeah. At least Rudy's doing shit, I guess. <laughs> it's bad shit, but I mean, he's like earning a title <laughs> of some kind. He's moving, yeah. shaking, hustling. Yeah. Uh, later in the show, I'm going to discuss Parnas as a witness with our guest, former U.S. Attorney Barb McQuaid. That's during the interview, so you'll definitely want to hear that. Also in the news this week, a uh, disgusting child sex trafficker and Trump proxy at the Seychelles meeting with Dimitriev and Eric Prince pleaded guilty to his charges of sex trafficking and child pornography. I cannot wait for him to go to prison. I'm still waiting for him to be brought up on charges of, of uh, straw man donations. Mm hmm for the UAE, but, mm -hmm. you know, with, with Barr in charge, I'll go into that in hot notes, but I don't think a lot of that might come might be happening. I wonder what the sentencing guidelines are for his child sex crimes. It's a lot. Yeah, so it's they might heavy. just, I wonder if they're like, whatever, he's going to be gone, that's all that matters. Yeah, I, and that happens a lot. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what, that's, you know, seemingly what happened with uh, half of the people who worked on Trump's campaign that went to prison. Right. They were like, well... We got him for that, and we'll put him away, and he'll yeah. be 900 when he gets out. Or, like, even just mobsters, when they put them away for tax evasion or something, it's easier than, like, trying to pursue all of their... A murder charge or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we learned in a court filing late Friday night, this is going to piss you all off, and I'm sorry, uh, it was Rod Rosenstein that, off that authorized the release of the Struck and Page texts. If you'll recall from the amazing interview Lisa Page did with Molly Jong Fast in the Daily Beast, we learned that the Justice Department called reporters in the middle of the night, told him to come into a skiff and check this shit out, but don't tell anyone we gave it to you. 
Well, in a late night uh, court filing Friday, we learned it was indeed Rod Rosenstein that authorized that. From the intrepid Josh Gerstein at Politico, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein authorized the release to the media of the texts. Rosenstein also said in the filing that he did so to protect Strzok and Page from the drip effect of incremental releases by lawmakers, which would have been illegal. So here he is, wispy, pliable douche of a man, saying, you should thank me. This revelation is actually part of the Justice Department's defense against a lawsuit filed by Peter Strzok. In November, the Department of Justice asked Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, to throw out Strzok's lawsuit, and Strzok's lawyer filed a response saying the suit should proceed because they're being vague about who made the call to release the texts. So this is Rod's way of saying, okay, well, now you know, and you can dismiss the lawsuit now because it was me. But that doesn't begin to address his wrongful termination of Strzok or the violation of privacy. This is all a load of horseshit. Uh, I'm sure Trump told him to do it, and he did it when he released the text, and now he's trying to say it was because he was being generous and we should just let the whole thing go. Uh, and this all comes from the same Department of Justice that is again investigating Comey for a leak from two years ago after agencies inspector general found nothing coming close to criminality. So leak the struck and page text, totally cool. Comey leaked to a story to the press that he's authorized to leak two years ago, go to jail. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, so Rod is saying that they were actually doing a solid because if he didn't release it, then it was gonna come out through congressional members. So then wouldn't your next step be to just, like, tell Congress to stop? Like, you're the... Yeah, or hold him accountable as yeah. the top cop in the land in the Ex- Mueller investigation? Exactly. Not to be but like... to go after Mueller and McCabe and everybody, Comey, for leaks. Right. Quote, unquote. Okay. Yeah. And your hot note is about a quote, unquote, leak. Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking that the when press. you said that. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's super not okay when this person did it, and then yeah. Rod can just say, oh, I was just getting ahead of... What some other bad person was going to do. Pete and me, we go way back. I love Lisa Page. I was just trying to help him out. Yeah. Well, both of their lawsuits are still out there, and I don't know. I don't think they'll be dismissed. But that beans on that. We don't know for sure. We don't Mm -hmm. know what's going on in the the Department of Justice these days. But that would be up to a judge. What is Rod doing nowadays? I don't care. Rod. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Rod. Rodo. (laughs) <laughs> leave it in Just leave it man. in. <laughs> uh, alright well we'll be right back we have more news including a Russian hack into Burisma and a third attendee at the meeting Giuliani had at Maine Justice with former Alpha Bank lawyer Brian Benchkowski it's an incredible story so stay with us hey everybody it's AG and this episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Noom I'm a pretty goal oriented person uh, like anyone though I can be tripped up and prone to per- procrastination and, and sometimes laziness which I prefer to call efficiency enthusiasm but last year I tried something new to help me motivate and achieve my goals it's called Noom with Noom you pick the goals that are right for you feeling better in your clothes having more stamina having better energy just having better mental health or practicing more self care feeling more confident and Noom personalizes a program to help you meet your goals I've been, you know, I I had been wanting to eat better, uh, to feel better and have more energy and less stress and anxiety. That was my goal. And I started a year ago and initially I lost 17 pounds uh, and and I've been able to keep it off because Noom takes a psychological approach. They help me understand myself and my habits. I love that Noom empowers you with the tools to break the bad habits and replace them with good ones. It's based in a cognitive behavioral approach and it uses personalized courses to help you reach your specific goals. 
You don't have to commit to a rigorous plan. It's just 10 minutes a day, and they make it super convenient with their app. Noom is designed by psychologists and behavioral change experts, and they assign you a goal specialist and a community of Noomers. So there's always support from people going through the same things you're going going through. Over 80% of Noomers finish the program, and over 60% have stuck with their goals for at least a year. It's the perfect time to make a step toward healthier habits. To sign up for your trial today, visit Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash A-G to start your trial today. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, So five days ago, the New York Times dropped a bomb on us. Russia hacked the Ukrainian gas company Burisma that's at the center of Trump's impeachment. Uh, This is pretty much identical to the hacking operation carried out by Russia in 2016. Not only was it Russia, it was the GRU, and more specifically, it was Fancy Bear, the arm of the GRU responsible for hacking the DCCC and the DNC in the run-up to the last presidential election. The story reads like the Mueller report. Fancy Bear used low-tech phishing schemes to trick users at Burisma into using their credentials to log into fake Burisma subsidiary websites. Uh, Then they would use those credentials and pose as employees to gain access to their networks. The hacking attempts began uh, in early November um, as the impeachment hearings began. It's not clear what the Russians were looking for, according to experts. Uh, I'm thinking it could just be as simple as a Russian-assisted diversion from the impeachment talks. It could be as simple as that. Mm. Um, California State Senator John Morgan from Brentwood works for a cybersecurity firm called Area One, and they recently released a report detailing the hacking operations of Burisma Holdings. Senator Morgan says Area One has the ability to catalog the entire web every 10 days by using a high-speed crawler. So from what I can gather, they monitor about 150 to 200 known hacking operations globally. Some are crime syndicates, some are state-operated. And by cataloging the web so frequently, they're able to use TTPs, or they're able to see tools, tactics, and procedures commonly used uh, by state-sponsored and crime syndicate hackers. Morgan didn't say what his company's relationship is to Burisma, but uh, what it seems like is they crawl the web, they see hacks, then they reach out to the companies that have been hacked to sell their services, much like like the company you may have heard of called CrowdStrike. Mm. Um, And much of what they found is being kept secret because of the sensitivity of the issue. But Morgan did say they noticed similarities between this hack and the 2016 Fancy Bear hacks in that there is a correlation of the timing and the hack beginning, uh, hack w- happened at the beginning of the impeachment trial. There's a correlation. Uh, quote, GRU is, has attempted to insert itself in the 2020 election, and it can't be ignored. Now, one would think our FBI would be all over this, and they may be that we haven't heard anything about it, but Ukraine sure has shit has. So <laughs> two days after the news of the hack dropped, we learned that Ukrainian authorities opened an investigation into the hack. And the day after that, we learned they're asking our FBI for help, which means our FBI hasn't reached out to them which is fucking bananas. Mm -hmm. On Thursday, um, Ukraine's Minister of Internal Affairs announced they had started a criminal proceeding uh, around the hack of Burisma and noted the authorities were seeking help from the FBI and the California company Area 1. The announcement of the investigation into the Burisma hack came the same day Ukraine announced a criminal investigation into whether Yovanovitch had been tracked by associates of Giuliani and Parnas. So it looks like Ukraine's law enforcement is more trustworthy than our own. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope they share their findings globally. I hope this is a signal that Zelensky isn't taking shit anymore. Uh, But what a terrible position to be in, especially in a hot war with Russia. And Mm -hmm. now it seems like Trump, Putin, and our Justice Department are all playing for the same team. And that Mm -hmm. puts Ukraine in grave danger. Mm -hmm. I feel really fucking bad for Zelensky and for the Ukrainian people, you know, because they we've said this a million times, but they really, really count on our support and our allyship to protect themselves from further invasion and takeover by Russia. So... 
a tough position for him to be mm-hmm. in, especially someone who's so new to politics. I mean, he was a dick piano guy like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> dick piano guy. No offense. I'm sure he's a perfectly great, you know. Well, he ran on a non-corruption ticket. Yeah, totally. and And they were trying to remove the corrupt people. And yeah. the corrupt people are the ones Trump wanted to stay so he could mm-hmm. be corrupt with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then trying to say that he's against corruption. It's absolutely bananas. And here's something that's fucking nuts. Remember when Giuliani met with Brian Benchkowski? He's the head of the criminal division at the Department of Justice. And when mm. he was appointed, we were like, what? Because he's a former lawyer from a firm, Kirkland and Ellis, that represented Alpha Bank. Mm-hmm. And Alpha Bank had that server that communicated with Trump Tower in 2015, yeah. uh, where Herman Kahn worked, who's the stepdad of, of not stepdad, but father-in-law of Vanderswan, who was indicted and worked with Manafort and Gates to whitewash the Temeshenko report, who's Yanukovych's political opponent. Uh, the one that Gregory Craig got arrested for lobbying to the New York Times without registering as a foreign agent. Yeah, so that Brian Benchkowski, uh, who recently, by the way, got a secret ethics waiver so he wouldn't have to recuse himself from some secret bullshit they didn't tell us about. Well, Giuliani met with Brian to discuss top secret a top-secret client of Rudy's that was facing extradition to try to get him off the hook. I thought for sure it was for Tosh, but it turns out it was that Venezuelan guy that he and Eric Prince... Uh, I've been palling around with that had Maduro connections. Mm -hmm. Anywho, uh, we just learned Friday that Bill fucking Barr was at that meeting, too. Uh, The meeting that Brian Benchkowski said he would have never taken if he knew uh, Giuliani Associates, Parnas and Fruman were about to be indicted. Hmm. Barr was at that meeting. And Barr was at the meeting where they talked about giving Fertasha a break, too. God, doesn't this is when he's attorney attorney general. Yeah. Doesn't he have other shit to do? Nope. His only job is to discredit the 2016 investigation and find dirt on the Bidens. That's his only fucking job. And block Mueller's investigations that were handed off by Rosenstein. Yeah. He keeps showing up at these like very intimate meetings and intimate parts of this whole scheme. It's Mm -hmm. like, how the fuck are you there? Like you, I mean, I hate to say this, but you seem more important. This, yeah, like it seems like your work is much as above this outside of the corruption element of it. It's like... Yeah, truly, it does seem increasingly so that his only point in that job is to do this. Maybe it's like, what's that show where the CEO goes and stands down on the line and does the factory stuff? CEO, yeah. what is that? <laughs> Undercover boss. <laughs> Undercover boss. <laughs> yeah. That's what Barr is. Oh, God. God. Oh, the, yeah, that's so funny. It's like, no, I'm down here with the people, learning what's really going yeah, on. Yeah, undercover uh, boss if they also started skimming the company and <laughs> <laughs> taking their own profits. <laughs> undercover show, mob boss. Yeah. <laughs> that show is, has such mixed feelings about it, because so, sometimes it can be, like, heartwarming to some extent, but other times you're just like, wow, it really took you getting in here and getting in disguise and, like, emotionally manipulating your employees to find out what a hard time they're having to want to pay them more. <laughs> okay. Is that always the end of the, the episode? Come on, I'm understanding people. Through trickery is love. It's yeah. fun and normal. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Put it, yeah, put it in terms that a sociopath CEO can understand. But before we go to a break, uh, some awesome news. As we all know, back in December, Ted Lou accused Devin Munez of conspiring with Lev Parnas, uh, a lawyer for Nunez, who happens to be a Republican on the House Intel Committee named Stephen Biss, wrote Ted Lou a letter threatening to sue him. Then Lou tweeted out that letter along with his brief response, which read, Dear Mr. Biss, in response to your letter dated December 31st, 2019, in which you state your client, Congressman Devin Nunes, will sue me if I don't, among other actions, issue a public apology to Mr. Nunes. 
It is true that I stated Congressman Nunes worked with Lev Parnas and conspired to undermine our own government. As you know, truth is a defense. So go read the documents and text messages provided by Mr. Parnas to the House of Representatives and watch his interview on The Rachel Maddow Show, which aired January 15, 2020, that directly implicates Mr. Nunes. I welcome any lawsuit from your client and look forward to taking discovery of Congressman Nunes. Or you can take your letter and shove it. Sincerely, Ted Lieu, courtesy copy Devin Nunes. <laughs> courtesy copy. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. So the... Um... The shove it thing. How do y'all feel about that? <clears throat> Love it. I mean, outside from it being awesome, objectively. Ah, uh, you know what? Who fucking cares anymore? Thanks for the times we're living in. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I it's know, not very professional. It's not. But like, I also would like to say Ted Lou <clears throat> followed me on Twitter and then unfollowed me, so I have a personal vendetta against oh, him. Oh, I see. So <laughs> bias. He could take his unfollow and shove it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Every time his name comes up, though, I'm like triggered, like You're he's an ex-boyfriend or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you bitch, I wasn't good enough for you. You don't like my dick jokes? <laughs> You're taking, like, you're, you're, you're taking these social media likes pretty seriously, Jordan. <laughs> the fame has gone to your head. Oh, God. Hey, it's the old spaceman goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. We're wearing camo because that's the Space Force uniform. Yes. Um, but yeah, when I read that uh, originally, um, my own personal insertions aside, I was thinking that's, yeah, I mean, outside, I was surprised I didn't see more talk around this whole idea of it being unprofessional. Well, he did come back and say, you're unprofessional. I'm s- sad and mad. And yeah. Rrr. Yeah. I guess I meant liberals. Liberals don't give a fuck. Because like you said, no. who fucking cares anymore? The shit that comes out of Trump's yeah. finger know, mouth man. on Twitter is like a couple years mouth. ago. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I would have been like, you're cheapening the discourse. And now I'm just like, this is the discourse. Yeah. 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 I, that's a real point that I'm going to have to come to, too, I yeah. think. And, and same and with Ted the candidates. Kind of known for yeah. sort of feistiness. Feisty. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, he's calling the impeachment a hoax. So we got to mm-hmm. we got to be a little spicy up in there. Democrats sometimes. Yeah. But also yeah, it's true. it was unprofessional. Also, the person that he's responding to is a complete joke. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So it's not like he's responding to Trump, I guess, who is also a joke, but Maybe a different kind of joke. Go and farm in peace quietly away from us. Ted Lieu? No, Devin Nunes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On his 100 On square his farm. foot farm. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Well, forward. it didn't register, you see, because he doesn't have a farm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I find it more believable Ted Lou has a farm. Yeah. <laughs> it's way more believable Ted Lou is a farmer. Yeah. I just imagine, I just want all, yeah, I just want all of them to be happy after all of this bullshit. <laughs> That's because you're a good person, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be right back with Hot Notes and another round of the Fantasy Indictment League right after this. Hey, everybody. This segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Daily Harvest. Everyone has a New Year's resolution to eat better uh, or to be healthier. And, and sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. But not this year. This year, you should try a service called Daily Harvest. It makes it so easy to eat well. They deliver thoughtfully sourced chef-crafted food right to your door. Daily Harvest works directly with farmers to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and then freezes them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. That's very important because if you don't do that, you just lose all the nutrients. You're eating empty calories. Everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it. You can choose from more than 65 different options like smoothies, um, hearty soups, harvest bowls, and overnight oats. 
Daily Harvest is a quick and easy way to get all the fruits and vegetables you need every day, and everything can be prepared in five minutes or less. And that really helps me out because I fast intermittently, and I'm, I'm, I'm strictly paleo when I'm on my health kicks, and so I, I miss a lot of the nutrients from fruits and vegetables. I just don't get enough servings per day. So that's why I use this uh, Daily Harvest because they have these smoothies that just, bam, I have all my nutrients, uh, and I don't have to worry about gaps in my health. Each recipe takes one step to prepare, uh, and you have room to like make it your own. Um, I like to add collagen to mine. You can add your favorite milk um, or heat up a harvest bowl, top it with avocado or a fried egg, whatever you're into. Whether you're at home or at your desk or on the go, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. Um, my current favorite is the wheatgrass banana cucumber smoothie. It gets me all my, my fruits and veggies in there. Um, and that just, it really helps if you have, it's like a super busy day and you, and you just don't have time to eat a bunch of friggin' broccoli. Uh, they have wide variety, delicious, nutritious foods. So, so for once, it'll be easier to stick to those New Year's resolutions. It really has helped. I've got a lot more energy. So go to dailyharvest.com, enter promo code AG25 to get $25 off your first box. That's huge. That's promo code AG25 for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Dailyharvest.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. All right, so what's going on at the Treasury, Jordan? Yeah, so um, SDNY announced that Natalie Mayflower Sowers Edwards. That's her whole name. Mayflower Sowers. Natalie Mayflower Sowers Sounds Edwards. Sounds like a nickname of a boxer, right? And it does. in the blue corner, Natalie Mayflower Sowers. Edwards. Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you ready to rumble? Yeah, yeah it is a pretty epic oh, name. we could get sued for that probably. Really? Oh. What? We do the Fantasy do Indictment favorite. League song. Do you just somehow. bleep it? Uh, just that's funny. Bleep the rumble <laughs> part, and then, and then I think that'll be good. That's amazing. <laughs> and leave all this in because why not? That's funny. We're gonna have to change our fantasy indictment intro to like da 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 beep. Well, we run that. I'm gonna be indicted over yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we oh, can be sued true. by two entities. Yeah, this is great. There's <laughs> just one giant ass lawsuit. Okay, anyway, so SDNY announced that uh, <clears throat> Natalie Mayflower Sowers Edwards, Edwards, who is the former senior <laughs> advisor at FinCEN, uh, that's the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, very important group, um, she has pled guilty to conspiring to unlawfully disclose suspicious activity reports, or SARS, to the media, specifically BuzzFeed. So U.S. Attorney... Jeffrey S. Berman said, as she has now admitted, Natalie Mayflower Sowers Edwards, a former senior level FinCEN employee, abused her position of trust by agreeing to repeatedly disclose highly sensitive information contained in suspicious activity reports. Maintaining the confidentiality of SARS, which are filed by banks and other financial institutions to alert law enforcement to potentially illegal transactions, is essential to permit them to serve their statutory function, and the defendant's conduct violated the integrity of that critical system and the law. End quote. So, these were SARS that were related to the conduct of Mueller Report stars such as Paul Manafort, <laughs> Rick Gates, the Russian Embassy, Butina and Prevazon Alexander. Uh, she apparently saved the files to a flash drive, transmitted them to a reporter via photos and encrypted messaging apps, and she also apparently talked to them um, or shared internal communications that she had read at FinCEN internally. Do you remember um, <clears throat> when we did stories, like some folks were in the Treasury were worried that some SARS had gone missing, like they weren't in the database? Yeah. I wonder if that's tied to this. Yeah. Um, I remember there being a lot of issues with, with the suspicious activity reports. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
oh, there was something else where um, there were Obama holdover treasury employees that were like shutting these down or something like that. I, mm -hmm. I, it was just, it was so long ago. Yeah, I hadn't heard the term SARS since really we were going through the Mueller <clears throat> report, but there was a lot of, there's a minute there where we were reporting on a lot of stories that were related to it. I'd have to go back though and refresh my memory because I think you're totally right. There's a lot of deeper connections just on this topic alone. But um, everything I just said though is the side of obviously the feds. Here's the side of her, basically. Uh, this is a statement from her attorney. He says, she was of the view that certain critical facts weren't being handled the right way by the government agencies whose responsibility it was to handle these things. She went to the media and said, if I can't trust the government officials to handle this, I think I can trust the media to handle this and bring this to the attention of the American people. Um, he said of how the family is taking everything. They're all taking it really hard. I think it's a really sad day for all of them. She was motivated by things that she believed were important. She brought issues that she thought were important, compelling issues to the press so that the press could bring them to the people. She didn't trust that the government was doing the right thing with these issues. And I think that gives a daughter uh, every reason to be proud of her mother. So that's a pretty emotional appeal. But I, I think... I buy into that very much. There's mm -hmm. probably an immense amount of frustration that would happen when you're working in a group whose purpose is to be looking over these things mm -hmm. and to feel like you don't have faith that the government that you've honestly, you know, worked for probably for a decent amount of your life at this point mm -hmm. isn't doing the right thing. That's that's a tough existential crisis to be put in. She definitely sees herself as a whistleblower, uh, whether or not folks sort of believe that profile or not, I guess, is up to you. Uh, she did plead guilty to one kind of conspiracy and faces a maximum sentence of five years in prison, and she will be sentenced on June 9th. Oh, check this out. From uh, Mueller, she wrote, uh, October 18th, 2018. I want to talk about a story that dropped Tuesday about a Treasury employee that was charged for leaking bank data about Manafort, Gates, and Butina. Mm. Natalie Mayflower Edwards is her name. Uh, she was a senior official at Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement known as FinCEN, named a, in a criminal complaint for two counts alleging she leaked suspicious activity reports uh, about untoward banking transactions. Mm -hmm. The journalists and news organizations she leaked to were not named. Uh, instead, prosecutors provided dates of stories that seemed to match a series of BuzzFeed articles. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. confirmed now. Mm -hmm. BuzzFeed. Now, when I heard this story, it raised alarm bells because back in May, we had reported on a story from Ronan Farrow that ran in The New Yorker about missing Michael Cohen SARS that were leaked. Those are the ones that Avenatti leaked about Cohen's slush fund that he ran out of Essential Consulting. Mm -hmm. The story said law enforcement officers had released SARS after finding that some were missing. If you remember, this person found a SAR on Cohen that referenced two other SARS, but the two other SARS were mysteriously missing from the database. They gone mm -hmm. walkies is what Maddow said. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I heard her say gone walkies. Interesting. Yeah. And that's the reporting that led us to know that AT&T, Novartis, and Russian emigre Vexelberg had all dumped large amounts of cash into Cohen's slush fund. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Lucky Over for a year ago. Yeah. God. Again, a reminder of how slow the justice system works. I know, right? She's just now pleading guilty, and she's not getting sentenced for another four months, five months. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know too many more details other than what you reported what we reported over a year ago and what I just reported now. I just was, um, and that's like directly from the government's website, the reporting that I just gave. So I don't know if there's 
much more I can extrapolate from from that in terms of where I think her mind was really at. But I'm yeah, I'm definitely I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say whistle. I'm I'm with the whistleblowers. Anyone mm-hmm. that's claiming to be a whistleblower in this political environment, I'm 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 with them. Yeah, and some people have there's like people on Twitter saying that she's actually a Trump person and she was trying to root out deep state stuff. I don't see that, but, uh, you know. Oh, and that's, oh, so she was. She was trying to prove that there was a deep state. Huh. That, that doesn't. Seems, it doesn't jive. It doesn't jive with me. It doesn't but, match with the reporting either. Like no. the nature of the leaks. No, or the BuzzFeed articles. But Right. Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, hmm. if you have any proof of that, let me know. I mean, I'm open to hearing other theories but that did come up and i did have some discussions on twitter about that because i Hmm. called her a hero yeah i guess yeah maybe we don't know enough to definitively call her a hero or not but who knows but i have i haven't heard that's the first that i've heard really of that side of the argument i guess well because my argument would be if you're trying to support trump why would you get sars out to the public that that, damage that that damaged your manafort people yeah Yeah, that's kind of intuitive it's very counterintuitive, unless she was trying to say, look, this is what it is, and people are overstating what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. But then at I the time- I can't wrap my head around that that theory or that side of the story. Yeah. Well, and then like the emotional appeal her attorney's trying to make definitely seems to lend itself to the idea that she was trying to hold these people accountable when the government was not- that's like exact. It seems like that's like what he said, right? Mm. Or what I just read. That that sounds like what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is the story. Um, and uh, I'm gonna actually go back and listen to that. Yeah, um, thanks, Jordan. That uh, October 2018 uh, report too that we that we put out because you know we got it from the BuzzFeed articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as most of you know, BuzzFeed. Speaking of them, sued the Department of Justice under the Freedom of Information Act to get the underlying Mueller materials, uh, the same Mueller materials that Nadler filed for a petition in the courts to get last July. Uh, And this week they got the fourth installment of the FBI's 302s, which are summaries of interviews with key witnesses. Uh, Big ups to Jason Leopold, who's heading up this project. You can read the actual documents at BuzzFeed.com. This batch contains 302s from White House political advisor Stephen Miller, Peter Avon, he's the chairman of the board of Alpha Bank, Russia's largest commercial bank, by the way, as as you know, Michael Cohen, we know who he is, Uh, Robert Forsman, vice chairman of the UBS Investment Bank, Uh, Dennis Klementov uh, of the New Economic School of Moscow, that was where they wanted to give a speech and Page gave a speech. Um, We read about it in Russian Roulette. Um, Andrei Krikovic, uh, a professor at the Higher School of Economics in Russia. Former Deputy National Security Advisor KT McFarlane, political consultant Sam Patton, uh, Anatoly Samarach- Samarcharnov. <laughs> Samarcharnov. <laughs> he was the translator, uh, which I, I need to hire him to say his name, uh, <laughs> at the infamous uh, June 6, 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Shlomo Weber, we've talked about him. He's an economics professor at the New Economic School in Russia. Former Trump campaign chair, Mal- Paul Manafort. Mal Panafort. <laughs> Come to Mall Panafort on Sunday. <laughs> Free balloons for the kids. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. So some of the key takeaways from round four. Manafort said he had his lawyer, Kevin Downing, speak with Hannity because he saw that as a conduit to Trump and the outside world. We kind of knew that from the manatee texts. Uh, we found out that the FBI actually asked George Papadopoulos to work with them to get more information on Mifsud. Okay. 
Um, Dennis Klementov, you remember him as one of the guys with the new economic school in Russia that wanted Trump to come and speak. And he, uh, he said that when Russia learned that their good old useful idiot Carter Page was associated with the Trump campaign, the excitement was palpable. Um, and so he was targeted. Uh, and so, you know, those are just some of these key things. But we learned a lot from round four. You should really read them. It's about 176 pages. Um, but I think the most, most important takeaway is what we haven't yet learned because it's been summarily blocked or redacted by Bill Barr's Justice Department. Law and Crime tells us that the Department of Justice is defying the court order for BuzzFeed's FOIA to produce notes from Jared Kushner's interview. Judge Reggie Walton, the same judge that was questioning the appropriateness of Bill Barr's redactions, ordered the Department of Justice to turn over the 302s, including Kushner's. And while the Department of Justice can redact documents, no reason was given for totally excluding the Kushner files. Uh, I doubt Judge Walton will be none too happy with this, as he was already pissed with Trump's Department of Justice for taking so long to get the documents out. And the Kush files were supposed to have been handed over in January. Uh, it's weird because they handed over a totally redacted 31-page interview. Remember in, in dump number three? Um, there was a 31-page interview that was totally redacted, including the person who was being interviewed. Mm. Their name was redacted. All my beans on that being the Kushner interview. Mm. What do you think? That would be nice. I would love to uh, see that. They should they should unredact it. Right. Well, that's just going to be more litigation in court then, huh? Well, and, you know, Reggie Walton, like I said, he said he was pre prepared to go through and, and check on the appropriateness of the redactions. And maybe that's one that he will. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm yeah. sure Reggie Walton knows what's under there mm -hmm. yeah. and, and knows that the Kushner stuff wasn't handed over. And that if it is the Kushner stuff, there's probably going to be a lot of ex parte, in camera, sealed hearings mm -hmm. with sealed memos that we won't hear about until mm -hmm. one day it'll just come out. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see it. Mm. What is, I, I don't even know what Kush is up to right now. I feel like I haven't heard a lot out of, uh, what is it, Jarvanka? Oh. <laughs> just acting out of non-security clearanceness, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just doing things you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Just, just walking around. <laughs> I just, I, there's so many things happening. I haven't heard anything particularly yeah. egregious from Jarvanka lately, but I would like to find out what's in what's in that interview. My beans that is are, what it is. Yeah. My beans are on um, just more Saudi Arabia shit, probably. That yeah. seems to be his solidified role in this mm -hmm. administration still. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That Pop probably knows a lot about that Seychelles meeting. Mm -hmm. What a <laughs> place to have a meeting. <laughs> I'll go. God. I'll go. I know, right? Anyone want to have a meeting? God. Buy me a ticket. We'll go to the Four Seasons. <laughs> In any case, what Barr has done and is doing to the Department of Justice is frightening. Let's just look at the track record, starting with his possible shuttering of the Mueller investigation and his gross misrepresentation of Mueller's findings. Uh, I'm going to go through a list of stuff here. These are these are just the hits. There's way more deep cuts than this, but these are the hits. Uh, and that his mischaracterization of Mueller's findings was so bad that Mueller went to paper twice. And that first letter, we still haven't seen. The DOJ blocked it. Um, that trick worked so well, some people actually blame Mueller for the findings when he wrote in the report that it was Rosenstein that set the scope and it was Rosenstein that decided which cases Mueller had to hand off to the Department of Justice, which is now under Bill Barr. And then we have the shuttering of the Cohen case in the Southern District of New York for no apparent reason other than it just happened to go dark the month Barr got there. Uh, it was picked up by Cy Vance, but he's a piece of shit. So I don't have much faith in that. I used to, and then I've read all sorts of stuff about Cy Vance, by the way. Uh, and, you know, yes, he did let Ivanka and Jared off the hook in that fraud case. Turns out he let uh, Epstein uh, skate without being put on um, the sex, sex offense, sex offender registry. There's a lot of things that he's just sort of 
mm-hmm. kind of made deals for that mm-hmm. I really disagree with. Uh, then there's the super secret Mueller subpoena battle with the company from Country A. That went dark within a month of Barr's arrival, and we haven't heard anything since June. And then how many of the Rosenstein referred cases redacted in Appendix D of the Mueller report have gone dark? We, we don't know, but we haven't heard shit about anything since April. Hmm. Uh, And don't forget about Andy McCabe, who is still under criminal investigation, even though the grand jury refused to return an indictment in his case. And Barr blocked the release of the documents relating to McCabe's firing. Uh, It got so bad, the judge said, fuck you, release the documents or close the case. Uh, The DOJ said, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We'll release the documents, bro. But they still haven't. um, And they still haven't closed the case. They're still trying to, I think, shop grand juries to find somebody who will indict him. And and what we have seen in the releases, there's been like slow drip. Um, and they've been redacted, really heavily redacted, by Barr. And now we have a brand new criminal investigation into Comey for his handling of the Hillary case from over two years ago, which the IG cleared him on, but now I guess it's a new thing they're looking at. But that's two years old. And speaking of the Inspector General, Barr disputed his own DOJ Inspector General's findings that the investigation into Trump Russia was opened with proper predicate and without political bias, to say nothing about the IG report that was due out around the time Barr took the office um, regarding the Wiener laptop leaks involving Giuliani, Tonzig, and DeGeneva from the FBI um, New York field office. The leaks that may have forced Comey to go public with the reopening of the Hillary case days before the election. Where's that IG report? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have Barr himself, the corrupt globetrotter, visiting every country that helped with the helped the FBI with Trump, the Trump-Russia investigation, trying to find anything to discredit Mueller's work. And, of course, now the explosive Parnas Maddo interview in which Parnas says the corrupt Ukrainian Lutsenko would provide Giuliani and Trump dirt on Mueller and one of Mueller's top lawyers, Weissman, and the Bidens if they would just fire that meddling pesky Yovanovich, who I just realized is the Thelma of this Scooby-Doo adventure. But most alarming is the possibility that Barr, Trump, Giuliani, and Hannity plotted to have Lev and Igor arrested as fall guys, setting them up with lawyers, John Dowd and Kevin Downing, that just came out, and asked them to take one for the team while blocking Parnas's documents and disallowing him to speak until a judge had to sign off to make it happen. And later in the interview, I'm going to talk uh, with Barb McQuaid, who used to work for the Justice Department, about what got us here and what we can do to put back that reservoir of twist that has been swiftly and totally drained by what I think is the most dangerous man in the world, Bill Barr. It reminds me of a tweet I wrote uh, that Brian Williams read on air as part of an article Joyce Vance wrote for Time Magazine about public trust in the Justice Department. Let's listen to that. Joyce Vance has just written about the Department of Justice uh, in Time Magazine went up tonight. It is often said that DOJ's integrity is like a reservoir, slow to fill, but easily emptied by a small leak. The reservoir is leaking. The day after news of Epstein's apparent suicide broke, a tweet from the partisan podcast Mueller, she wrote, articulated the worst case, worst case, forgive me, whether you believe there are nefarious forces within the DOJ that assisted with or turned a blind eye to the Epstein death, the bigger point is no one trusts the Department of Justice. No one. We are in a dangerous place if people no longer trust that the Justice Department is doing justice. Joyce, however unlikely an outcome, the outcome you are calling for is that the Attorney General take himself out of this case. Tell us why. So yeah, that's our Justice Department. Nice. Nice. Really nice. (laughs) I was sitting there both in admiration for the way that you were delivering that information, but also like, fuck. Sheer terror. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, as I was writing it, I was like, this is good. Oh, my God, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the scariest part is not seeing a clear path to him being held accountable ever, really. Yeah, and I I, I do talk to uh, Barb about that, but it, it's, it's, it's murky, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously the... That we vote, but then if we what if we end up with a president who's like, we'll just put it all behind us? Oh, totally. Which I mean, I could totally see that unite happening. Unite the country because this mm-hmm. will divide the country, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't go after your political opponents mm-hmm. with the law because you have the power to do so because that could be seen as abuse of power. It's such a dangerous precedent if we don't hold these people to account, though. If well, we just, that's what happened when we didn't away. hold Nixon to account. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. when he was pardoned. It's what happened when you know it has it has led to this, mm-hmm. and now. Here we are. So you're right. That's it's that's it's makes that's <laughs> the wrong precedent. Yeah, it is hard though because on the other hand, civilians really. I do think I had something happen at a comedy show the other night mm-hmm. that was really crazy. I asked if anyone had watched the debates, the Democratic debates, and the whole crowd, who was like a decent crowd, laughing wise, just like <laughs> just fucking stopped. Like, no noise. Everyone, I'm so sorry for that sound you have to hear in your ear. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. That's the sound you're going with? <laughs> it was supposed to be a sound. It wasn't like claptrap, mouth shut. No, no, it was supposed to be a sound of... Uh, they dried up. Of, yeah, it was supposed <laughs> to be... Their legs slammed shut. Exactly, but it was a very wet to be sound. a watertight asshole, I yes, think is what it was exactly. supposed to be. In, that, <laughs> in the old frog saying. That is exactly what it was supposed to be. Watertight asshole. Yeah. Butthole clenched up that, that all around. My, my dad used to say, <laughs> is a frog's ass watertight? Like a, it does the bear shit in the woods type of a thing? Yikes. I hope so. Apparently. Um, but anyways... They <laughs> they completely, uh, they tightened up a lot, is my point. And then I was like, no one watched it, no, and no one would say anything. And up until that point, they were like a pretty participatory audience. Maybe yeah. everyone then, was on a first date and they didn't want to reveal their politics to the first date. I don't think date. so. Okay. I'm sorry. Trying to benefit of the doubt the crowd. <laughs> yes. Um, but then I was like, you know, really, I, I just want, because I was going into like, you know, the Bernie Warren shit, and they just weren't having any of that. And I was, as a closing thought, I guess, to that segment that wasn't going anywhere, I was like, yeah, I just I just want, like, everyone just really needs to stop fighting. And then everybody just erupted in applause just at that one line. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know that that's Republicans, Democrats, independents. Mm-hmm. It's like a crowd of people, so yeah. it represents a lot of different mm-hmm. political opinions, I imagine. And that was just super, super powerful to me because... Like, I think I underestimate what the what civilians are actually feeling with all Mm -hmm. of this stuff that when even though holding people accountable is incredibly important and still needs to happen. There is this reality that future politicians and current politicians have to juggle, Mm -hmm. which is that civilians are fucking over it. Mm -hmm. Like most civilians are not like our listeners fatigue that that want to, you know, be continuously informed about everything. People outside of our bubble don't always want to talk about it. No, I got it's funny. I got invited to um, a friend of mine's like family Thanksgiving gathering um, back in November. Um, And she was like, I didn't end up going, but she was like, I really love hanging out with you and I love all our discussions. But if you were to come to my family gathering, I just I would just need you to tone it down a little bit. Just maybe like don't bring anything up. And Ugh. I was like, I don't know your family. I wasn't going to like argue about Trump at your Thanksgiving dinner. And she was like, I'm just giving you a pre-warning. Just keep it cash. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
You're a yeah. little loud. Pardon? You're a little loud with your opinions. Yeah. <laughs> you tone it down a bit. My hair or no? Mm-hmm. Oh, my the, mouth. The, the, the gay oh. girl with the blue hair who works for the political podcast? Yeah. Do you think I might have an opinion? <laughs> no, not me. Yeah, so people in general over it. She was like, we just want to I would nice- show up with like a pink pussy hat <laughs> and like a fuck Trump shirt or an impeach the motherfucker shirt and like banners and a number one foam finger that yeah. says Trump sucks ass on it or something. And <laughs> like just like covered uh, in he- head to toe mm-hmm. in some sort of Democrat acc- accoutrement. Yeah, and then... <laughs> and just be like, hey, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. I bet she was asking like, about the weather. Just... <laughs> yeah, I don't ever talk about politics. <laughs> She's like fearful of my presence. <laughs> that's a good sketch, by the way. Yeah, that's so funny. Let's write that uh, down. Sketch idea. You know, <laughs> SNL. She's like, she's like, don't bring it up. Meanwhile, my shirt's just like, impeach the motherfucker. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I didn't go, so I didn't need to tone it down. Oh, good. But I would have for her sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it is the reality of people right now. Yeah, just show up in that outfit and be like, how about those cubs? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so I went for a hike the other day and uh, the weather was nice. It's nice here. I was at a show last night and some guy in the front row was wearing a huge oversized furs head camouflage Trump hat that he had adorned with like pins and of various I don't know organizations <laughs> or opinions and it was so hard to just like not say anything about it because it was also Oceanside so I'm pretty outnumbered there when it comes to like Republicans yeah. that's, but it was uh, that's a little bit of a red town yeah but just talking about people showing up to social gatherings you know making their political opinions very well known this guy's sitting here with like a fucking conductor hat of conservativism you can even call it that <laughs> conductor out of conservatism. <laughs> yeah. upper sticker spores head yeah yeah exactly osh gosh but white nationalist <laughs> uh all right are you guys ready for sabotage hell yeah yes All right, so uh, Michael Flynn withdrew his guilty plea. Mm -hmm. And now I'm pissed because I thought we were going to sentence him on January 28th. But the sentencing hearing for his first national security advisor is now set for February 27th, more than two years after he pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. And the delay comes after Flynn asked the court to allow him to withdraw his guilty plea. Um, He, like I said, he was supposed to be sentenced on the 28th. for lying to the to the FBI, and he was facing zero to six months in prison. Uh, they recommended six months after, you know, the, the DOJ was like, well, we were recommending probation, but now we're recommending time because he failed to, he stopped being a cooperator. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unusual for a relatively straightforward charge to hang in the court this long, but mm-hmm. I guess Flynn's case has been unusual <laughs> yeah. from the beginning. Um, the president has tweeted to wish him good luck. And the right-wing commentators have held him up as a conspiratorial symbol of the deep state's undermining of Trump's admiration. Um, so he would he withdrew his, his guilty plea, and they've they've now delayed his sentencing. Mm. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens. See how um, Judge Sullivan responds. Yeah, I don't see how there couldn't be a change in indictments. Because we were saying this as soon as he started wavering. It's Which like, that's kind of part of the sabotage. deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, what, he only has one guilty plea, one count, right, that he's pled guilty to? Yeah, for lying. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And we know he's guilty of lobbying without registering. We mm-hmm. know he's guilty of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Kidnapping plot? 
Yeah, Gruen Jesus Christ. In exchange for $15 million to, to fly him out in the night? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, you're getting real bold there with drawing that guilty plea with that resume. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Especially with your Fox News lawyer who sucks ass. Yeah, so close to the finish line and you're just tripping like a motherfucker. Could have had no jail, mm-hmm. but I think he's he's going to go for jail or a trial. He could end up back in, tri- in a trial. And he's, I think he's just angling for a pardon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that checks out. So in that case, I would drag this out past the election to mm-hmm. where there's nobody left in office that'll pardon him. <laughs> oh, good call. Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be rad? That would be very oh, rad. Oh, so sorry. Now you have to go to prison. No pardon. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right, let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Okay. Okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be done. <laughs> Superseding Flynn. Good call. I will do Ghislaine. I think she's hiding in Israel, according to Hearts. Yeah, that's what I guess some people have said. Who knows? <sighs> I wouldn't that makes sense. I could see that. But if Trump- they Go ahead. Sorry. If they find out, if the federal government or FBI or whatever finds out that that's true, then I think they would definitely drop an indictment. If that's something that would be worth their time. Would they do that? I don't know. It may, they might say it's not. They might be able to get him on six months if he goes to trial for lying. But I mean, and then you have to remember, Barr's in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghislaine, though. Oh, Ghislaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying if they can oh. confirm that she's hiding overseas. Do you think that they just have an indictment waiting for her as soon as she, like, ever maybe steps foot over here? Could be. Um, or do they do symbolic indictments even if, like, someone is overseas and they know that they I, I would think Barr would want her in his... Grasp. Grasp. Yeah. To, to control... <laughs> like, it was a very like villain-like he, imagery. <laughs> like, he tri- <laughs> like he tried to do with Pernas. Yeah. I think oh, he, yeah, I yeah. think he kind of wants him... Yeah. With that noise. <laughs> it's for everything now. Oh, God. Um. All right. So you have uh, Ghislaine. I'm yeah. going to go with um, superseding Nader. Mm. I'm going to do a freaking plea deal for Parnas. Parnas. I don't know that. Uh, that'd be nice. I don't know that Barr's going to give that to him. Mm. He'd have to make that with the Southern District. Um. I'll go with Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everything's sort of hard now because, you know, you start realizing how corrupt Barr is and you want these people to get indicted. And then he's really putting a fucking damper on our fantasy indictment league. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to do Tom Barrick. I can see that going somewhere. Yeah. Trump inaugural. Nice. Superseding Freeman. Freeman. That, I believe. Mm hmm. Uh, and I believe superseding Parnas too. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna go on what bar, what bar is gonna do? And I'm gonna do Pecker. Mm, nice Pecker. All right, that is how we play the fantasy indictment league. Um, stick around right after this break. I'll be talking to Barb McQuaid, former U.S. attorney, about what's happening at the Department of Justice and how we might be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. 
Hey everybody, it's AG. After Mueller She Wrote, it's Mueller She Rests. Hopefully. Uh, after a long day of resisting the propaganda and corruption of this current administration, sometimes I need a break uh, from all the stress and craziness. And one of my favorite mental refreshers is a new puzzle game app called Best Fiends. Best Fiends is engaging and fun with an interesting story and challenging puzzles, but it's a casual game so you can play as much or little as you want. And it's not timed, so there's no pressure or stress. It's just a great game. It's my go-to when I just need a break. Um, you can collect all the best fiends, level them up, give them new powers, discover their powers, and battle the slugs of Mount Boom. Uh, I'm on level 80, which I love because it's the only part of my life where I'm finally, you know, succeeding. To me, Best Fiends is the perfect game to keep my mind off the orange nightmare, and it keeps me relaxed and still challenged. The cool thing is their creators are consistently adding new levels and events, so it's always fresh and fun. Best Fiends is free to download, and I love that you don't need the internet to play it, so it's great for traveling. I can do it on a plane, I can do it on the subway. So give it a try. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters, too. Five-star rated mobile puzzle game with over 100 million downloads globally. Download free at the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Joining us for the interview today, I'm so happy about this, University of Michigan law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, and former U.S. attorney. Please welcome back Barb McQuaid. Barb, thanks for coming on Mueller She Wrote today. Oh, thanks, AG. Glad to be with you. So lots of stuff. I, uh, the Matto, first, I wanted to open up with the Matto interview with Lev Parnas, because it was absolutely explosive and bananas, um, though people caution his allegations, and some on the Trump side say he's not credible. And as a former U.S. attorney, can you explain perceived credibility issues with bad guys who flip and why they're actually more credible than a lot of people think? Yes. um, He really presents as a very typical cooperator. Uh, People who are associated with the defendant are often the most, uh, not the most savory characters, as you can imagine. And, you know, one argument that prosecutors frequently make when they call people like that as witnesses at trial is to tell the jury, remember, I didn't choose, the government didn't choose um, this person to be our star witness. It's the defendant who chose to associate himself with this person. Um, But he made some really interesting allegations about the fact that uh, everyone was in the loop. It was President Trump who was directing the activity. Even William Barr was involved and Mike Pence. I would think that what I would do as a prosecutor is sit him down for probably three or four days and go through that story in detail. I mean, ideally, the the playbook is tell me in your own words everything you know that happened about this topic and get him to just talk and talk and talk and then go back over it in painstaking detail. All right, you say that President Trump was involved. Have you spoken yourself directly to President Trump? How do you know President Trump was involved? Who told you? What records do you have? Who else was present when this occurred? And you go over every single assertion he has in that way. One of the goals is to try to corroborate what he has to say so that if he were to testify, you can back him up with documents so that even people, if people are not inclined to believe him when they see these documents, uh, it bolsters his credibility. The other thing it allows you to do is maybe find other witnesses who can either support his claim and you can put them all on and hear them all telling the same story, in which case they sort of authenticate each other. Or one of the things you could even do is if you find better witnesses, then you can push him out altogether, use him for lead purposes to identify these other witnesses. Maybe he will tell you other people who are present who are more credible who can tell you the same information without having to rely on him as a witness. So I think the big thing he does is he really demonstrates that there is far more out there 
uh, in terms of the facts that we already know and really makes the case for why witnesses are so important in this trial. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, one of the big takeaways from this that I'm sure Democrats will um, hammer on in in the Senate trial for impeachment. And this whole thing is kind of reminding me of, of Rick Gates when when the Mueller team was prosecuting Manafort and they brought Rick Gates in as their witness uh, and it they did exactly what you did. They went through this painstaking investigation corroborating everything that Rick Gates had said. And I'm assuming they're doing that with the inaugural as well. Uh, and I think because I think he's he's cooperating on that. But that's just speculation. But he wasn't really believed that the jury didn't really like him very much. But they you know, even that one uh, Trump supporter juror was like, look, you got to go by the documents. And I think that Rick Gates led prosecutors to a lot of different things. And I, I that's kind of how I'm seeing this. I mean, you know, maybe Rick Gates has a nicer suit, but that's kind of how I'm seeing this. No, you're right. I think they're very similar. I watched the Manafort trial um, in um, Virginia, and uh, I can see why the jury found Rick Gates very unlikable. He um, uh, admitted to much of his own misconduct. He was um, kind of argumentative with the defense attorney on cross-examination. He did not come across as a likable character. Mm. But, you know, keep in mind, he was Paul Manafort's best bud. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. many ways somebody like that can kind of even taint the defendant. But I think that um, oftentimes when you've got someone who himself is viewed with some skepticism, one of the things you can have them do is by supporting what they have to say with documents, it's really the documents that tell the story. But the cooperator can be helpful to sort of serve as a narrator. It's kind of difficult to uh, make sense of documents sometimes without someone there to say, this is what this document was, and then he sent it to me, and then I did this with it. Um, and it kind of ties those things together, and the story actually comes out through the documents, but that person, that cooperating witness, is able to help give you a little bit of context and explain what these were. You know, For example, we've seen some documents that have been produced by Lev Parnas, his own handwritten notes, which may or may not be admissible into evidence, but you, know, you can talk about the timing of these things, he can explain uh, what was going on. Text messages are another great example where someone can provide context for something that might be difficult to discern in isolation. Yeah, and and I also think something else that was helping out in that Manafort case was just the way in which the Mueller team wasn't was issuing its indictments. They kind of put out these talking indictments to to sort of illustrate a story. So I think I think that that helped um, as well, and that's kind of what these corroborating witnesses do now. Uh, regarding what Parnas said about Barr and the Department of Justice, because you used to work at the Department of Justice, he said he has significant fear of the Department of Justice and, and Bill Barr, and that's why he's telling his story on TV, which most indicted individuals generally don't do, or at least advised against doing. And he said he believes he's safer telling his story than leaving his fate in the hands of our Justice Department, and said he was more scared of Bill Barr than he is of, quote, these criminals, unquote. And now there's theories floating around out there that, that Barr had him and Igor arrested and gave a waiver for Dowd to be his lawyer so that they could control the messaging, keep him quiet or make him the fall guy. I don't know. There's a lot of theories going around and, you know, kind of supported by the fact that Giuliani has yet to be indicted by the Southern District. The Department of Justice tried to keep Lev Parnas's documents from getting out. Uh, and now that he's willing to come forward, do you think it's even a possibility that it's within the purview of our Department of Justice to be part of this cover-up, as the way that Parnas is describing it. I, I hope not, and I have not seen anything yet to make me think that it is, although I will say that William Barr's conduct has, I think, created a credibility gap for him. 
the way he uh, swept in and spun the Mueller report really cost him a lot of credibility, in my view. And so I think that it leaves you susceptible to these kinds of allegations and conspiracy theories when someone perceives you to be not an honest broker. And um, he, he does seem to have, I, I don't know if it is uh, partisan viewpoints, but at least viewpoints of a very strong executive branch um, that causes him to make curious decisions. Uh, you know, there is this allegation that um, when the whistleblower complaint first came in the door, he took a quick look at it and summarily dismissed it as not uh, something that was worthy of further investigation. That, too, I think, creates concern about um, whether he is serving as an honest broker or is um, instead acting in the best interest of President Trump. But I, I would like to think that even if he were not uh, seeing the world in the same way maybe other fair-minded, even-handed people would, the folks in the Southern District of New York, I think to date, have shown themselves to be honest brokers. Their charges of um, Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, for example, uh, struck me as demonstrating independence. Their charges of Michael Cohen and even describing President Trump as individual one in that indictment, I thought, demonstrated some independence. And so uh, I would hope that if they were being told to stand down for improper reasons, we would see resignations and public statements from them about an improper purpose. So. I'm not ready to go there just yet, but it's a sad day when we're even raising these questions about the trustworthiness of the Attorney General of the Department of Justice, and I think William Barr has brought that on himself. Yeah, that's the huge problem. It, it's interesting that you bring up the whistleblower complaint and how he handled the Mueller report, because I had just uh, was about to list off some of the things that have kind of been destructive to his credibility, or at least the credibility of the department, and that's you know, not just Parnas. We have the things that you mentioned. We have the McCabe investigation. Uh, we have that the Cohen, the case was shut down and had and was picked up uh, eventually by the Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, his uh, dispute of his own Inspector General findings surrounding the Trump Russia investigation. Um, he's now investigating Comey. This is news out from the New York Times for a years old issue, even the after the IG has cleared Comey. Um, so, with all of these things, and, and you're right, whether or not. Uh, they're stand up or part of the cover up. It's that that trust is is diminishing. And, and so how how can we rebuild that loss of trust? Because my guess is it's a lot hard to get back than it than it was to lose in the first place. Yeah, I think that's right. I think in the next administration, there has to be a lot of work done to regain trust and probably some changes, if not in laws, at least in norms. We saw this after the Nixon presidency, a lot of laws passed and other things done to try to restore trust in the Department of Justice. I think the Attorney General in the next administration will, will have to make that a very high priority. One of the ways you can do that is through transparency and trying to share with the public things that are going on. But um, a, a hard part of it is there is much that must by its nature be kept secret. Investigations until they're ready, um, investigations that ultimately result in no charges, typically are not shared with the public. And so there has to be a fair amount of trust there on those. But I, I think uh, one way you can get to that is by having maximum transparency, permitting oversight, permitting inspector general reports, permitting congressional oversight. You know, we've seen in the Trump administration such a stonewall of oversight that uh, I, I think uh, uh, it, it creates its own problems of distrust in the department when they won't even let Congress in to see what's going on. We have um, on national security matters, we have the Gang of Eight in Congress who are supposed to be permitted to see even classified material, 
as a method of oversight that came along as post-Nixon, post-Watergate measures. And so I think a, a full and robust review by, by Congress uh, would also be uh, beneficial to the health of the Department of Justice. Yeah, that is a good point, especially with working with Congress. And um, speaking of future attorneys general, do you have a dream U.S. attorney general that <laughs> that you uh, are thinking of uh, in November, say, saying that the, you know, assuming the Democrat wins the uh, presidency? Oh, there are a lot of great lawyers out there. You know, Sally Yates comes to mind as someone who was uh, wonderful in the last administration and served as the deputy attorney general, certainly highly qualified to do that job. But there were also uh, many other people who have served in government who would be excellent attorneys general. I guess I would just want someone who, um, you know, has the experience uh, and um, a commitment to the rule of law and not to the president uh, who appoints him or her, I think is the most important thing. You know, when I became U.S. attorney, all of the U.S. attorneys um, had an opportunity to meet with President Obama at the White House mm. as a group. And one of the things he said to us was, uh, remember that even though uh, I appointed you, you do not serve me. You serve the people in the Constitution. And if ever you perceive a conflict in those two interests, remember where your loyalties lie. I think we need an attorney general who shares that vision of what an attorney general is supposed to be. Instead, in President Trump, who is famously stated, I want a Roy Cohn. I want an attorney general who will protect me. And I think he's found that in William Barr. I think we need to get back to the Obama model of an attorney general who represents the people and not the president. Yeah, the same with director of FBI, director of CIA, director of national intelligence, the whole intelligence community. I think they all they're all intertwined and they're all interlinked. So I think and I think that is important. And we also have to be careful not to appoint an attorney general that's extremely divisive either, you know. Um I'm I'm sitting over here like god wouldn't it be great if Andy McCabe were the new director of the FBI, but I don't know that that would be the best idea in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. I think that we um, need to be mindful that it isn't about, you know, whose tribe is in power. It, we really need an, an attorney general and a president who is prepared to um, serve all of the people of this country. And that's a big um, mending job that needs to be done as well. I mean, this, this president has made it as part of his strategy to divide people uh, because he perceives that's in his personal political interest, but it's certainly not in the best interest of the country. And so I think uh, uniting the country has got to be an important part of the next president and the next administration, including the attorney general. Yeah, and it would definitely be hard to get that trust back that we were talking about uh, <laughs> if you if you nominate somebody that uh, you're pretty sure at least 40% of the country doesn't like, uh, rightfully or not, rightfully or not. Right. All right, well, thank you so much. Uh, your insights are always extremely helpful, and I appreciate you coming and taking time to talk to talk to us today. It's I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Always enjoy listening to Mama She Wrote. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. MSNBC contributor, Umish, uh, law professor. Oh, your credentials go on forever. And former U.S. attorney, Barb McQuaid. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and we're going to get video uplinks in here soon. Not uplinks, but the video <laughs> camera, and we'll put out video. <laughs> I don't want to get too technical because I don't understand tech. Um, but... Anyway, you can get that and see it if you become a, a patron. <laughs> How about that? Sounds nice. Mm -hmm. And a Q&A episode, which will be up before the end of the month. Yep. And lots of good questions. You'll get our sister podcast ad-free and the night before it comes out to mm -hmm. the public called if The Daily Beans. you are on the West Coast. <laughs> well, no, you get it the night before. But Oh, yeah, totally. It'll just be late if, you know, it'll be like midnight if, but I, <laughs> if you're but in New York. Totally. And uh, a lot of people say that's they love that because mm -hmm. they listen to it before bed, which Aww. is nice. 
Yeah, nice. and the ad free is, is cool too. Mm-hmm. It's um, like baby genius is for adults. <laughs> is that geniuses. is that a thing where you like play music for your kid or whatever, oh. or you play smart shit for them yeah. when they're falling asleep? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't recommend putting uh, Muller she wrote on headphones and putting it on your pregnant belly. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't. I wouldn't recommend that. It's your so funny. Baby's just bored with an immense disdain for a political system. When it comes out, zero years old, and it comes. <laughs> Uh, or the opposite of that noise all right yeah. anyway um <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much any final thoughts no final thoughts for me um i watched a movie that i really liked that mm. y'all should watch american animals it's a documentary about some like privileged white kids that try to pull off some heist and okay. it's like just an incredibly well-made documentary like i've never seen a documentary made like that what's before. the gist of the heist uh they there is a really expensive book of artwork okay Cool. And other books that they try to steal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. But it's very good. I just watched it and it's like, fuck. That's like one of the coolest made movies I've ever seen. I'm reading JVN's new book that I got for oh, Christmas. Cool. That's slightly lighter content for my brain. Yeah. That sounds really nice. <laughs> he's so his wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reading his memoir and I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. He's if fantastic. If you want to come back, JVN, I would love to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> come back on all she wrote. All right, that's it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and scene. Um, seriously, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I'm a Jordan Coburn. I've been Amanda Reeder. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season 4 of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country, And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. SW Media. 
Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.